Good morning. Wasn't that exciting to see those two folks baptized? And uh, we've got a person, I believe, who will be baptized in the next worship service. And so thank you for continuing to invite your neighbors, your family members, your friends. And by the way, if you're new, I'm Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here at Fort Carolina. And we are so thrilled that you are here with us to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do every Sunday. And uh, if we can be a part of your life and your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to let us know that. You've picked a great day to be with us because we're starting a new series today, um, Answering Life's Biggest Questions. And you know, people have these questions. We, we have a lot of people who want to give you their opinions about these questions. Is God real? Uh, does God love me if he is real? Is there life after death? Is there hope in the midst of my suffering? And you can read people's opinions or hear people's opinions on social media or on YouTube. And people write books and articles answering these questions. And often the advice or the answers they give are good and they're helpful. At other times, they're just flat out wrong or they're confusing. But you know, I think the greatest person we can ever go to to ask these kinds of questions and to get the answers we need for our soul is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, if you, even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what you know about Jesus tells you that we can trust what Jesus says to us about God. In his earthly life, even Jesus' enemies had to admit that they could not find fault in him. Even his enemies had to admit this man never lies. Even his enemies had to admit there's something different about this man when he teaches. He teaches about God with an authority like we have never heard before. And so we believe one of the best things we can do is to make sure that in the midst of all the voices that we are listening to as we seek the answers to these questions and others is to make sure first and foremost we're listening to the voice of Jesus. And so we're going to talk this month about these questions and what Jesus has to say to us. And here's one of the reasons I tell you about trusting Jesus, not only because of his life and his character, but also the fact that Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. And if he could do that, I'm just going to trust anything else he says. Do you remember on three different occasions he did that with his disciples? Let me give you one example. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Jesus was, is with his disciples going to Jerusalem for the very last time. And he knows that he is on the road to destiny, that he's going to go there and die for the sin of the world. So he says in Matthew 28, or, or Matthew 20, verse 18, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Three times Jesus explicitly told his disciples, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And it went over their heads. They never fully grasped what he was saying was true. And the reason we know they didn't fully understand what he was saying is because on that Friday when he's crucified, their hopes were crucified alongside of Jesus. When his dead body is taken off of the cross and placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, they felt like it was over. 
that those three years of following Jesus had led to nothing but disappointment and death. And now they were concerned about their own deaths. They were concerned that the next footsteps they heard might be the same people coming to arrest them, beat them, and kill them because they were known to be followers of Jesus. So we see them hiding in an upper room, the Bible says, because they were afraid of the Jewish leadership. And it was in the midst of that on that first Easter morning that Jesus comes out of the tomb alive and that evening breaks through in that upper room and reveals himself with convincing proofs that he really is alive from the dead. You see, it was only after the resurrection that they could fully understand and make sense of what Jesus had predicted. They, they were really on a journey of spiritual belief. It was They believed in Jesus, then they stopped believing when he died, and then they believed again. And why did they start believing again? Because of his resurrection, because they saw him alive from the grave. Listen, if Jesus can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, then you can trust anything that he says. And one of the things that you need to wrestle with is the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, whenever we think about authority to answer these great questions of our hearts, there is no greater authority than Jesus himself. I think he's demonstrated through his words, through his deeds, through his resurrection, that he can be trusted and we ought to listen to what he has to say. Now, before we get into what Jesus has to say about this question that we're talking about today, is God real? I thought I might make a couple of observations for you concerning this topic. First of all, the Bible overall is not really focused on whether God is, but who God is. You know, we've got the question, is God real? But the Bible is not so much focused on whether God is, but who God is. The Bible begins with the declaration of the existence of God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the Bible begins with that assumption that you need to know deep down in your heart that God is real, that God does exist. And God doesn't show up on the scene trying to uh, prove himself other than how he's proven himself through his creation. The Apostle Paul picks up on that in the New Testament book of Romans chapter 1. Listen to Romans 1, beginning with verse 18. Paul writes, For the wrath of God, we don't hear that much preached anymore, do we? Uh, the wrath of God. Why don't we do an eight-week sermon series on that one? Uh, well, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth are they suppressing? Paul tells us in verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, in other words, the characteristics of God. So the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The Apostle Paul is, is picking up on the fact that God has revealed himself just even in creation, in nature. 
That's why sometimes people will take a vacation. They'll go up to the mountains or they'll go out west or they'll go overseas and they'll come back and they'll say to me, Ricky, after everything I saw in nature, those mountains, I don't know how anyone can believe there's no God. Or as they look up into the night sky and they see the beauty of the universe, there must be a God. And what they're saying is what Paul is saying, that God has revealed himself through his very creation. Now, there are people who say that, uh, that God doesn't exist and there's no evidence for God's existence. But the evidence is all around you. In fact, you are evidence that God exists. There, there's a, we won't get into this, but there are all kinds of arguments for the existence of God. Uh, one of my favorite arguments for the existence of God is uh, really it became more popular through William Lane Craig. Um, and it's called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. And it's just three simple premises. Number one, anything that begins to exist has a cause. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. In other words, nothing has ever just popped into existence uncaused. We know that is intuitively true. If that weren't true, we would be expecting to see things just pop into existence as we sit here today. But we know the premise number one is true intuitively. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. Second premise, the universe began to exist. Even scientists now say we can take the creation of the universe back to a finite point in time where there was nothing and then suddenly there was everything. Some call it the Big Bang Theory. That you can trace it back to a beginning, to a finite point where time and space and material came into existence. So premise one, anything that begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. The conclusion, therefore, the universe has a cause. So what is the cause of this universe? Well, for anything to cause the universe, it has to stand outside and apart from the universe. It has to be personal because it's an act of will to create. This cause has to be uncreated because Everything that is created came into existence at the beginning of the universe. It has to be timeless because at the beginning of the Big Bang, time began. Before that, time was not. It has to be spaceless. It has to be immaterial. It has to be powerful. It has to be intelligent. You've just described and defined God. That's why the Bible doesn't talk so much about whether God exists, but who this God is. Creation says there is a God. Scripture and Jesus reveals to us who this God is. And yet so often people don't believe in God, not because there's not enough evidence. Paul says in Romans 1, there are people who do not believe in God because they don't want to believe in God. God cramps my style. God tells me that I'm a sinner. God tells me how he expects me to live. God tells me there are things in my life that are out of bounds in his will and that are sinful, and because I don't like that, I'm going to just decide there is no God. And Paul says you're suppressing the truth because all around you there is evidence of the existence of God. Remember the Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, who at one of his journeys in space when he returned to Earth was famously quoted to say about his time in space, I didn't see God. He was an atheist. So he's saying, see, we went to space, the Soviets. I didn't see God there. Of course, some of our astronauts said, 
uh, Yuri, if you had have stepped out of your capsule just for one second, you would have met God. God is real. God exists. And listen, I could give you all kinds of arguments about the existence of God and the evidence for the existence of God. If you want to dig deeper, maybe a good book would be um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek. It's a very good book. It, it sounds like an off-putting title, but it's a very good book. And if you don't like the title, you really ought to read it. Uh, I, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. But one of the other reasons, listen, that I believe that God is real is not only because of creation and, and what I can see intuitively around me, it's because of Jesus. My greatest doubts and fears are always alleviated when I just come back to Jesus. Listen, Jesus came to reveal who God is. He came to show us that God is real. And let me show you who this God is and what he is like. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 7 through 10, Jesus was emphatic. He said, if you had known me, he's talking to his disciples now, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So Philip is saying, okay, Jesus, Show us the Father. Give us some evidence. Give us some proof that the Father exists. Manifest his reality right here and right now, and we will believe, and that will be enough for us. I'm looking for evidence, Philip says. Nothing wrong, by the way, with this question. He's just misguided. He's missed what's plainly in front of him. Jesus came to reveal who God is, and Jesus answers in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Now listen to this. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Listen to this, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus says, Philip, what do you mean you want evidence? It's right in front of you. Jesus is none other than Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is none other than the Son of God in flesh. And Jesus asked the question, do you want to see God? Look at me. Do you want to hear God? Look at, listen to me. If you want to see God, look at me. If you want to hear God, listen to me. I've come to reveal the Father to you. Everything I do, everything I say, every miracle I perform is the Father, God, working in me and through me. In John 14, verse 11, Jesus continued, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then he says this, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Maybe the NIV says, believe on account of the evidence that you have in front of you. Jesus says, don't just listen to my words if that's not going to be enough to convince you that the Father is revealed in my words. Then look at the works I perform. Don't just listen to the messages I preach. Look at the miracles I perform, and you can see evidence of God at work in your world 
through my life. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. And I know that there are many people who are deconstructing from their faith and they're walking away from their faith, especially in this younger generation. And there are many reasons for that. And there's no way I could do your journey justice if that's the journey that you feel that you were on. But I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm going to ask you this morning, is your faith in faith or is your faith in Jesus? Is your faith in the church? Is your faith in religion? Is your faith in a preacher? Is your faith in how another Christian treated you? Or is your faith in Jesus? I'm going to implore you, before you walk away from your faith, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Christianity is not about all the stuff that we make it about. It's about Jesus Christ being God's son, come into the world full of grace and truth to reveal the Father to us that God is real, that God loves us, that there is life after death, and there can be hope in the midst of your suffering. If you walk away from Jesus, you walk away from all of that. Atheism doesn't have anything to offer you. Atheism just tells you there's no God, there's no rhyme or reason, you're just a cosmic accident, there's no life after death, there's no eternal justice, all the wrong in this world will never be made right. There's just no rhyme or reason to it. And when you die, you're no better than a yellow-spotted dog. That is not a worldview of hope, and it's certainly not the worldview of Jesus. Jesus says, don't believe all of that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've come to reveal the Father to you. My words and my works can only be explained through the revelation of God the Father working through me. And there's a lot we could talk about today about what does Jesus show us and say to us about the Father. Time won't help because uh, time is limited. But let me give you just a few thoughts. First of all, Jesus tells us that God is spirit. God the Father is spirit. You remember Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And she wanted to have a debate with Jesus about worship practices. Listen, people have been debating and arguing about worship practices from the very beginning. Even with Cain and Abel. And she's wanting to argue about, hey... The Jews say we should worship God in Jerusalem. We, the Samaritans, say you worship God in uh, Gerizim. And Jesus says, don't you understand the time is coming and the time is now where the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And in John 4, verse 24, Jesus says to her, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is not flesh and bone up in heaven. He is spirit. He is uncreated. He is eternal. He is spiritual. God is spirit. That's why we're told not to make a graven, a carved image of God, because you can't do God justice if you try to limit God to something you make with your hands or you paint or you take a picture of. You can't do God justice. The only time you can see God is when you look at Jesus, who is Emmanuel God with us. But so often we forget God is spirit. I love that because it says a lot of things, but it also tells me that no matter where I go, God is there. No matter where you go, God is there. 
No matter what you're facing, you are never alone. Hebrews 13, 5, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Jesus also reveals to us that God is Father. Do you remember the time came when Jesus' disciples asked him, teach us, Lord, to pray? We hear John the Baptist pray and his disciples pray. Why don't you teach us to pray? And so Jesus did. He taught them how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It was actually the disciples' prayer. Jesus never had to pray this. He didn't ever have to pray, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He wasn't talking about how he prays. He was talking about how you can pray and how I can pray. And remember how he started Matthew chapter 6, verse 9? He says, pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven. 2,000 years have blunted that stunning statement that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you talk to God, you can call him your Father in heaven. You read the Old Testament, and there are a few times that God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament, but it was always Father in a national sense for the nation of Israel. But you don't hear people personally in the Old Testament calling God the Father. You don't hear Moses praying, Father, who art in heaven. You don't hear King David praying, God the Father in heaven. But Jesus says, no, when you pray, you can pray, Our Father, Abba, our Father who art in heaven. There's a lot more about God that we should talk about today, but time won't allow us. But one of the truths that Jesus reveals to us is when you trust him as your Lord and Savior, God is not only creator, he is your Father, your spiritual Father. Not only your Father by act of creation, but he's your Father by act of redemption. And you have been born again into the family of God. You have a father who loves you. And listen, God is not a reflection of our imperfect fathers or for those of us who are imperfect fathers. Jesus is referring to the perfection of fatherhood when we can talk to God. God is spirit. God is father. And Jesus also reveals to us God is love. You remember John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote three letters that we have copies of in our New Testament. We call them 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He also wrote the book of Revelation that closes the New Testament. And as one who uh, often referred to himself in his own gospel, not by name, but as the disciple whom Jesus loved, <laughs> and with his his emphasis on love in his gospel. John has become known as the disciple of love. And this is what John says to us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. In that first letter, chapter 4, verse 16, he says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. He says God is love. If we really know God, we're going to reflect God's love and how we love each other. That'll clarify a lot of things, won't it? A lot of things in the Christian world that we have tried to elevate as this is Christianity, but if it does not have love, it is not Christianity as Jesus intended. You see, God is love. So if you're hateful, if you're prejudiced, if you're bigoted, 
If you're mean, you're not reflecting God. You're reflecting your own fallen nature. Because God is love. And you remember my favorite verse, John 3, 16. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world. You say, well, Ricky, I thought we were going to answer that question. Does God love me next week? We are, but I want to give you a little preview. For God so loved the world. How do we know God loved the world? In what way, in what manner did God so love the world? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Is God real? Yes. God is creator. God is sustainer. But he is also a redeemer. He wants to save us from our sin. You see, Jesus is the one who tells us. Don't, don't be offended at me saying this. Jesus is the one who tells us that we've got a sin problem. And if that problem isn't resolved, we are going to perish. You know what it means to perish, right? If you've got milk in your refrigerator and it's got an expiration date on it and it goes out. Now, listen, if it's out, I ain't drinking it. I don't care if it's a day. Oh, it's just a day expired. Too bad. I ain't drinking it. I don't, mm, I, don't, I don't do that. I have an aversion to anything that might even look bad or smell bad or get past an expiration date. There's just something about me that says no. As far as I'm concerned, that milk has perished. It is good for nothing to be poured out. Its purpose is no more. It missed its chance. It has perished. And when the Bible speaks of us perishing, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. It means to die with our sins unforgiven and to miss the opportunity to be right with God and to have eternal life and to be a part of the family of God. We've missed that moment. We've missed that chance because to die unforgiven is to perish. And Jesus says, You don't have to perish. You can be saved. You can have the gift of eternal life. If you ever want to understand John 3.16, it's very simple. Jesus tells us, God loves, God gave. We believe and we live. It's really that simple. God loves. Because he loves, he gave. He gave his son, God himself, coming into this world in flesh. One God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and God gave his son not only to us in the world and through his words and through his miracles, he gave his son as a substitution for us. Jesus died on the cross, taking the punishment for our sin as a volunteer and as an expression of God's love that even though we're sinners, God still loves us. Even though we've rejected God and rebelled against God, God still wants us. Even though we run from God, God pursues us. And he gave his son on the cross of Calvary. Jesus dying on the cross out of the love of the Father, the love of the Son. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was risen from the dead on the third day. And whoever believes in Jesus will not perish. But they'll have everlasting life. Yesterday we gathered here in this auditorium with the Tim Hobson family as 
wife Cheryl and children Laura and Daniel celebrated and grieved the passing of their dad and celebrated his life. And do you know what gives them hope to endure a service like yesterday? It's the knowledge that Tim had trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Jesus, who died, was buried, but also rose from the dead and promised, if you believe in me, you will have everlasting life. Even though you may die physically, you will never die spiritually when you've trusted me. And if you trust me, one day you're going to get a brand new body that will never grow old, never get sick, never die. Just like my resurrection body, Jesus says, I'll give to you. I'm the first fruits, but there are many more coming, many more resurrection bodies. And what gives them hope is the knowledge that God loves, God gave, Tim believed, and Tim lives. He has eternal life. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus is the one who said to Thomas and to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, yeah, God's real. And he loves you. But you got a sin problem. But that's okay. I came to solve your problem. It's a free gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You'll never deserve it. All you got to do is believe in me. Trust in me. Put your faith in me. Not in religion, not in your good works. Just trust me in my finished work on the cross and you'll be saved. And there's no other way. There's no plan B. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because there's no one else who ever did for you what Jesus did for you on the cross and in the empty tomb. Bottom line today, Jesus came to reveal who God is And whenever you're fearful and you're not sure or you have questions or you have doubts or you don't feel close to God or God feels a million miles away or it doesn't feel like your prayers are being answered, turn to Jesus. Turn back to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for this reminder through Jesus and through your holy word that you are real, that you created us and that you love us, and that we are sinners. We've rebelled against you. But you love us anyway. We thank you for that. And because you're holy and you're righteous, you couldn't just ignore our sin. We have a problem, and we can't solve it. But out of your love and your righteousness, you sent Jesus, your son, into the world to reveal yourself to us in a way that we could understand, using words we could understand. We thank you for his death for us on the cross of Calvary as he exchanged his wonderful, perfect life for our sinful lives. And we know he was vindicated to be your son because not only did he die, but you raised him from the dead three days later, just as he said. And because of that, we can trust him. We can trust anything he says. We can look to him when we want to draw closer to you and understand you. So, Father, I pray for every Christian in this room that today they would, they would turn eyes upon Jesus. Learn more about him through your holy word. And through your spirit, live for him as he gives grace to live. And God, if there's someone in this room or someone even watching online today, 
who's never received Jesus. I pray that today, today, even with all their questions that I've not done a good job on answering, even with all the, the things that they've heard from others that, that have caused their hearts to be troubled, I pray that today they would just turn their eyes on Jesus and listen to him today. Above all other voices, listen to Jesus. And Father, I pray that today they would turn from their sin and believe on him for the forgiveness of their sin and the gift of eternal life. Thank you for Jesus. God, I pray if anyone makes that decision, they'll let us know. They'll, they'll leave a comment or, or they'll fill out a Let's Connect card. And they'll talk to me or talk to one of our volunteers at the back that today I've committed my life to Christ. Or I've got more questions. God, we want to be a part of that spiritual journey in their life. So have your perfect will and way in this moment, we pray right now, as we respond in our own hearts to what you have told us to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.